My name is Christian Ashley, a seminary student and servant of God, and you are listening to the Let Nothing Move You podcast, a proud Anazal Ministries podcast. Welcome back to the Let Nothing Move You podcast. I'm your host, Christian Ashley, and I am ready to keep digging into the Genesis. However, there is something I do need to bring up first uh, before we head anywhere, and that is something just for the sake of transparency. It's like, well, why did that suddenly show up? That I- I'm right there with you. I'll help you through this. Let me actually explain what I'm talking about first, though. Like I said, for the purpose of transparency, there is going to be an ad that I pre-recorded that is going to be at the end of the podcast for Zencaster. Uh, suffice to say, they have changed the way that they have their systems in place, and the free plan that I had is no longer free like I thought it would continue to be. I thought I was being grandfathered into this new program, but I am not. Uh, it's no longer free unless I make an ad for their services. So a- as it is right now, I'm not in a place where I can afford regular payments to use the non-free version. That's not the most expensive thing in the world, but I knew need to use, be using that money elsewhere. Uh, so at the end of the day, like I still do recommend using Zencaster. Like I'm not going to give you an ad that I myself don't personally believe in that product. I'm not here to like, you know, mess with your head and say, wait, he just said he didn't use it. No, 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 no. It's because I myself can't use it right now due to monetary concerns. But if you want to use it, go ahead. So all that to say, you know, I, I know not everyone likes ads. I, I skipped them too in podcasts. So if you do, I'm not going to say anything. So the, all of this to say, I have put it at the end of the show, so it should be after my outro is given, uh, and you can feel free to do with that information as you will. So now, actually, now that I've wasted all this time, we're going to be heading into the book of Genesis, chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verses 1 and 2. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Adam and Eve had a massive responsibility ahead of themselves as our first parents to direct the shaping and molding of the human race. They had no parents to learn from themselves and even if they did, we all know no parent is perfect anyways. So they're, they're having to make things up on the fly. That How do they discipline their children? How do they figure this out? How do they assign tasks? What are chores to be done? Like How does this work in this brand new world? There are no concepts around these things yet. So they had to invent most of them, I'm sure. And even though they still had contact with God, it was limited compared to what they had before the fall. So they can't just, um, from what we can tell, just, you know, speed dial God, say, hey, what do I do with my kid? You know, sure, God, you can still talk to God with prayer and stuff like that, but it's not the same relationship they had with God before. And rightly so, due to their sin and due to that separation that exists. So they're having to make this up. They're going to screw up. And that's, I mean, could you imagine if you were the first parent and you had no idea what was going on? No, no wonder what happens with Cain and Abel along the way. Like, it's inevitable. It's human nature, unfortunately, to seek after our own will and deny God. And this daunting task was something that 
they still sought, though, even knowing they would screw up, even knowing that they wouldn't be perfect parents. And, well, it ended up with some mixed results. And guess what? It was always going to. Once again, it's just human nature. We're going to screw up the perfect systems God has in place for us, and even the systems we have to make up ourselves, we're never going to follow them fully. But before we get to the bad parts of the tale of these two brothers, let us see how Eve handles her new job as mother of mankind. She recalls the promise made by God that one of her descendants will destroy the serpent and uses that optimism to rightfully declare that Cain was born with the help of God. Now, we know, for those of us who read the story, how Cain ends up, but Eve doesn't know that. And so she names her son accordingly, hoping, more than likely, that this would be an example for her son of how to live his life in worship to God. And same thing with Abel, you know, breath and vapor being more an understanding of his original name. It's like, oh, wow, God breathed life into humanity, all these beautiful, amazing things. Like, she didn't know when the prophecy would come true, and perhaps she may have even thought that she'd live long enough to see it happen. Like, she doesn't know. She has no concept of, like, how long she's going to live or if she's going to die at all. All she knows is that she is able to die now. But regardless, she sought out the future welfare of the human race and worshiped God. And that's something we do need to praise her for. Like every now and then people will go, Adam and Eve, all those screw ups. If I had been there, things would have been different or, you know, all uh, things would have been different if, if I had been a person in charge or whatever. I just reset the same thing there. It, but people forget these are these are just humans like you and me. They made mistakes. They made intentional choices to sin, too but they also still worship God. And Eve here is a perfect example of that. So we do need to praise her, praise the good, call out the evil. That's one of my main things. You got to do both. Now, when we look over to Cain and Abel's birth, we see the work that man must now do in order to survive on a fallen world. Abel, we see as a shepherd looking over his flock with tender care and Cain is a farmer seeking to cultivate fruits, grains, and vegetables to, to provide sustenance for his family. Neither one of those things is an easy job. Like, I'm sure there's one I would hate more, and that'd be the physical labor one, but they both involve physical labor. But I'm definitely never called to be a farmer. I have no green thumb. That gene did not pass down from my grandfather to me. But when we look at both jobs, like, and according to what will happen later on in this chapter, like, neither one is more worthwhile than the other. They both provide exquisite resources needed by the family to survive. Like taking care of the sheep meant that they would have food and access to cotton for clothing and cultivating the earth. Likewise meant that they would have food from a different source. Both jobs served their family. Well, that's why they had to do it. Now we don't know whether uh, maybe Cain was more suited to one over Abel, or if he really wanted to be a shepherd, but Adam made him be another farmer or who knows that's not mentioned in the Bible, but we do know that they had jobs and they did them. And that's something we need to continue doing on in our own day. Is like, there is a job for us out there. Now, whatever that is, I don't know. That's something you have to take up with him. And from there, we'll move on to verses three through seven. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? 
If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Like we do not see like when exactly the whole custom of it's the custom and ritual of offering sacrifices to God was ordained by him as something necessary for mankind to do in Genesis. We're skipping over a lot. Like there's much left out in between Genesis three and four, but let us remember that God allowed Moses to write down what he desired to be remembered rather than what we may want more clarification on. And if you're like me, that thought really irks you because you want to know everything about the history and circumstances behind it all. You want the play by play, but I'm talking to you as much as I'm talking to me realize that if God had wanted it to be there in the text and to have it survive thousands of years to reach our eyes and ears, then it would have happened. I don't like saying that because I'm not a fan of it, but I know he didn't have to give me anything. He could have given us two sentences. He could have said, love God, love your neighbors yourself. And that could have been the entire Bible, but he didn't. He offered more than that. Not as much as some of us would have wanted, but we don't get to make that call. So keep that in mind as thing goes on here. Like there's a lot left out. Who knows why? That's up to him. He's the one who gets to write this thing and inspire the writers who actually put it down pen to paper. Here we see, though, when it comes to sacrifices, throughout Scripture, they are meant to honor God as a way to atone for sins and to show faith that God will provide. And we'll see that fleshed out more when we do get to uh, more like Leviticus will probably be where we'll focus a little bit. There's other stuff in other uh, books of the Pentateuch, but primarily Leviticus is going to be a big one there. And we see Cain offer his produce and Abel is giving the best of his flock, the firstborn for the sacrifice. Nowhere are we told directly in Genesis why God honors Abel's sacrifice and disdains Cain's. However, with further reading of scripture, we can glean more from this interaction. Now, can we say, well, is it simply because, well, one offered an animal, the other offered fruits? No, because in Deuteronomy 26.2, we see that fruits of the harvest are used for offering. Uh, so this means that Cain's offering had value to God, so we can't simply dismiss his sacrifice out of hand based on that. Typically, though, which is why this argument kind of brings up, well, Abel's was accepted because of an animal having to be sacrificed, is that animal sacrifice was the main offering given to God, and his, this demanded blood to cover the sins of the ones offering the sacrifice. Blood atonement is that huge thing. This animal is dying in my stead. So for my sins to be forgiven, something needed to be lost, and God, in his mercy, allowed animals to take the place of his people at that point in history, so that they wouldn't suffer his righteous wrath. Furthermore, if you look at 1 John 3.12, this will be in the Legacy Standard Bible, we see that, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we, have, we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. I think I should have said 11 and 12. I forgot to put that in there. Or maybe it was 12 and 13. Either way, it's more than one verse. <laughs> but looking at that, 
we see that Cain's actions, thanks to apostolic testimony, so someone who has the ability to talk directly to God, who understands things a little better than you and I, can tell us, oh, that's a clarification we need forever from when it actually happened. John is able to do that in 1 John. And what Genesis 4 does not reveal in the text is that Cain's heart was set on evil so much so that he is equated with Satan's works, which is the exact opposite of what his mother wanted him to do. Conversely, in Hebrews 11.4, in the Wycliffe Bible, we see that by faith, Abel offered a much, excuse me, a much more sacrifice than Cain to God, by which he got witnessing to be just, for God bare witnessing to his gifts, and by that faith he did speaketh yet. Now, I know uh, the Wycliffe Bible is kind of one of those things that I, I was debating putting that one in there. I don't like how they translate things all the time, but like it is a worthwhile Bible to, uh, to look into. Uh, it's just not my favorite. But the point being in there is that Abel, his sacrifice was better because he was witnessing to God in his faith through his sacrifice. He was actually following him. And for those unaware, the author of Hebrews 11, we're not sure who wrote it. Some people say Paul, some will say Timothy, some will say Apollos, some will say one of the other apostles. We don't know at the end of the day. It's never mentioned in the text. But the author is, uh, his point in Hebrews 11 is he is praising the faith of those who are God's people in spirit. Abel is praised as a worthy son of God, yet Cain isn't mentioned in Hebrews 11, showing his lack of faith. Now, if you're not mentioned in Hebrews 11, that doesn't necessarily mean you didn't have faith. Like Adam and Eve aren't mentioned there. So some people debate, that was, were they really saved? Who knows? But that just because you're excluded doesn't mean that you weren't faithful. Like after a certain point in Hebrews 11, he kind of stops listing people and goes more generic along the way, uh, probably to save time. Uh, who knows why God inspired him to do one and not the other. But the point being, uh, in direct contrast to his brother Cain, Abel is praised for his faith. Cain is not. Thus, as is always the case when it comes to worship, God saw the fullness of Abel's resolve to lovingly devote himself to God's service, and he saw Cain's evil nature and accepted one offering and not another. In the same church we can go to, two people can be singing the same praise song or hymn or what have you to God, and one is accepted and the other isn't. They're saying the same words but the heart of one is seeking after God and the heart of the other is pretending maybe to seek favor, maybe just to fit in, maybe because they never knew God and this is all they know. Regardless, two people can be singing the same praise song and only one of them is truly heard for what they want God to do. And that's how it was with Cain and Abel. And we truly see this, this, uh, heart change in Cain and how he responds to God not accepting his offering. Instead of doing some serious self-reflection and wondering what about himself offended God, Cain instead grows angry and refuses to see reason. Like, have you ever met that person the moment you criticize them or say they're not doing things correctly? Oh, uh, I'm not doing that. No, 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 no. Obviously, you're the one in the wrong. Like, I gave 110%. And... You know that's not true. Well, the same happened with God and Cain. The same thing happens to God and us all the time. We say, God, I haven't done anything wrong. And sometimes that may even be true. And at that point, something else is happening. But the vast majority of the time, we know we've done something wrong. 
And yet we have the audacity to say to the creator of the universe, nah, it wasn't me, it was someone else. Or uh, am I my brother's keeper, as we'll see along the way? No, that's not how this works. Don't be like Cain. Don't grow angry and refuse to see reason. But we also see here, in the midst of this, yet even here, God refuses to abandon Cain to his sin. Instead, he warns Cain about what sin will do to his heart and offers him advice on how to conquer it. Knowing it's going to fall on deaf ears, yet still he desires that Cain change his evil ways. God's advice, however, is something that we should all apply to our own sins. Cain obviously didn't listen. But guess what? In hindsight, we know better. So we should listen. So that's why it is written in Genesis 4. Not for Cain's sake, but for our sake. Oh, God is telling the first murderer in the world, hey, uh, don't let sin rule over you before he murders someone. Like, hey, oh, I should learn from that. You're probably not going to go out there and murder anyone, but we all know things we're going to do that's going to harm other people. That sins that we justify and say, well, it's for our benefit, or, or even oh, for really holy, oh, it's for their benefit that I'm doing this. It's like, no, that's not how this works. That's not how it's ever worked. Sin always works contrary to our benefit. Even if it seems like we succeed in the moment, or even for years while engaging in it. We all know there are plenty of people out there who have more money than they should ever possibly have, and they've got that by exploiting the people under them. And we go, well, why hasn't God cast them down yet? What's going on there? Oh, we see, you know, there are still killers out there today that haven't been caught by police because the evidence isn't there. And like all these countless people are dead. And like, why doesn't God just allow, you know, justice to happen? Well, it's a hollow victory for them to live free of reprisal right now. We think too limited at times. We think judgment should happen when we demand it. But that's not how God's works. Cain allows this sin to reign over his mind temporarily and continues on later on in life to let that sin reign. So too do other people around us, yet God doesn't punish them when we want them to because we're not working on his timeline. We'll get to that in a second, like how we can further that argument as we go into verses 8 through 16. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden.
denying the wise words of God, which if he just listened to, he could have changed his life. He could have turned things around. Cain deceives his younger brother and murders him away from their parents, hoping, perhaps, that this would be enough to make sure no one could know it was him. Like, there is no CSI unit right now. Uh, there are no surveillance cameras. There's nothing. For all they know, it could have been a wild animal attack. Like, this is unprecedented. This has never happened before in the history of humanity. It's the first murder. And yet, even knowing what not to do, we act the same way with our own private sins. In our shame, we know our sin isn't meant to be seen by the world, so we will do everything in our power to do it in the shadows or away from others so we might not get called out for our wrongdoing. Cain, we see here, even without a single precedent of knowing murder was wrong, knew in his heart that what he was doing was evil and thus commits the world's first murder away from others. He knows it's wrong. Even though there, that for all we know, there has been no commandment given. Thou shalt not murder. We don't know because the text doesn't tell us. But we do know with God's moral law, there are some things that will always be sinful. And murder is most definitely one of them. He knows it's wrong. So he hides it. Why else would he pretend, uh, I don't know what happened to him, knowing who he's dealing with, by the way, knowing he's talking to God, who he should know if his parents have been good parents, exactly uh, if they told him the story of how they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, that God would know anyways, and yet he does it. And we do the exact same thing. We know God is watching. Not to be like, oh, oh, they about to screw up. They about to sin. Oh, well, I'll put that down on the tally mark and I'll have misfortune fall on them. Nope, that's not how God operates. He sees all. He knows all. And yet we act like he doesn't. We act like he's not going to get upset when we sin. We act like, uh, this time he's going to let it slide. And Cain, who, if his parents have been doing their job, should know better. We have parents, hopefully, who've been teaching us or guardians or people who've instructed us along the way. It's like, hey, don't commit these sins against God. They're wrong. They're evil. They help no one. They don't even help you. And yet still he gives in. But like his parents... Cain then has the audacity to lie to God when he's confronted with his sins, but God refuses to let him have his way, much like he will do to us when we try the same thing, and he calls Cain out for his sins, setting out to avenge the fallen. It, this way, Abel, the world's first martyr, also is avenged by God, not how we would have wanted to say, oh, we'll strike Cain down right now. Like, no. God has a different means of getting this done. So if God is justice, if God is vengeance, why would he not have just killed Cain? Like he does it to other people in the, in uh, not just the gospels uh, in the entire Bible. He does it today. So why not kill Cain? Ultimately, we don't know the answer, uh, but we can speculate based on the character of God that he reveals to us in scripture. Like God allows men to live in a fallen world filled with sin, hoping and desiring that we will make our way to him. And we can't do that if we're dead. But were he to kill us the moment we committed our first sin, which is enough to separate us from him, none of us would have survived infancy. 
Now, I don't know about you. As someone who hangs around a lot of children uh, over the years, it doesn't take long for them to sin. Knowing what they're doing is wrong, even if they cannot form their first words yet, there's a spark in their mind. They know, oh, well, I did something wrong. Or I'm acting selfishly. It exists in all of us because we're all born under, under sin. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter how young we are. None of us would make it out of infancy. So uh, perhaps then God should be more lenient and only kill people who commit worse sins. But as we see in Scripture, all sins are evil due to the fact that they're sins. There's no such thing as a positive sin. That's not how things work. And our charts for how sins should rank don't match God's perspective on the matter. Now, you can always argue, like, is there a worse sin than others? We do know for sure, like, you know, there's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you know, attributing something to Satan that is actually the work of God, which the Pharisees commit several times over. So clearly there is a hierarchy there at some point, or maybe it's just that one and everything else is the same. I don't know. I don't have the type matchup right beside me here. And like the ranking system was like, oh, well, lying is only like, oh, it's a 17th percentile and oh, murder is about 53rd or however the heck the numbers work. I don't know. I hate my, I hate math. Regardless, it's evil. It separates us from him. So we don't get to be the ones to say, well, uh, well he only stole, so he doesn't deserve to die. Or uh, she only gossiped, so she doesn't deserve to die for sin. Or We don't get to make that call. Instead, as we see throughout Scripture, God remains himself and offers mercy to Cain, just like he offered mercy to you and I for far fewer offenses I don't know about you. You've never murdered anyone yet. Not, I'm not trying to say that it's going to be an eventuality. I hope it never is. I have no intent to go that way. But I haven't done what Cain's done. And yet God still looked at me and said, you repent, you're in. He said the same to you. The question is, do you say yes to him? And he offers this mercy to Cain, not only because God is justice and merciful, but because he's giving him the opportunity to reconcile with God just as he does the same to us. Like, can you imagine this? This is the world's first murder. And God still gives an opportunity out for Cain to say I'm wrong, even while he's being cursed. He's still teaching him. And we don't know where Cain ends up. More than likely, given what we've seen so far, I don't see repentance <laughs> in Cain's life but it's possible. There was a chance if he had just turned away, if he had just said, I was wrong, what could have happened? What good things could have happened to him and his descendants? If he just recognized his own weakness and said, I was wrong. God, forgive me. But we'll never know because it doesn't happen that we see. Now, uh, Cain does mention something here. We do need to bring up uh, in that, there are others out there who will seek vengeance. Well, who are these others that are going to seek vengeance on Cain? Like we've, we've got Adam, Eve, uh, Abel and Cain. Uh, does he expect his parents to come after him, and, like murder him for uh, killing their son, for murdering their son? Well, simply put, we don't know who these others are. 
there are some who believe that God created more humans after Adam and Eve that were born under sin, so they weren't perfect like Adam and Eve. So that brings up the question, can God create something that is born with sin? Um, not really sure how the metaphysics work there, but at, and there's something just not written of, so God created more people. He just doesn't mention it. Like To be fair, there's a lot missing from some of Genesis, so it easily could have happened. But others will say that Adam and Eve had more children than uh, the three were presented with. Uh, eventually, we get to Seth later on in this chapter. And uh, they're not mentioned by name. And they would have sought the death of Cain for killing their brother, which naturally makes a lot of sense. Uh, either way, the text is unclear. So all we have is speculation. Regardless of what the actual answer is, God is proving himself once more to be merciful to those who deserve his grace the least. God has plans for Cain even in the midst of his apostasy and will avenge his death sevenfold for those who would dare work against the designs of God. This is the world's first murder. I, I cannot harp on that enough. And yet God is still going to avenge him if someone murders him. Uh, you know, eye for eye makes the whole world blind. That's exactly what's happening here. It's like God is preventing that from spreading, knowing the cycle of revenge will just keep going. We can't let it start right now. We need more people alive to populate the earth. And we also see here God offers a mark on Cain, and we're not sure like if this was a physical mark. There are other people say, oh, it's the mark of the beast, or why God would be delivering the mark of the beast. I don't know. It's all over the place. Uh, you look in some of these commentaries sometimes, or people speculating online, you go, okay, wow. Mm. You sure have your opinions there, buddy. Uh, regardless whether it was physical or spiritual, the point remains that God offered protection to Cain. And not only that, he offered it, but he followed through with giving him protection when Cain fled to the land of Nod. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel a lot better. If God is willing to protect this loser, this murderer, Imagine what he's able to do for me, who on my best day is working faithfully for him, and on my worst day, he still forgives. That should encourage you. I truly hope it does. The next up, we'll go to verses 17 through 24. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. This is a separate Enoch from the one in chapter 5, just putting that out there. So, sorry, parenthetical. This is Enoch, son of Cain. Not the Enoch we'll see in chapter 5. When he built a city, he being Cain, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad uh, fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Mesushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the one, excuse me, the other, Zillah. And not Godzilla. Nobody else was laughing with me. Verse 20. Ada bore Jabal, who was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Listen, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. 
If Kane's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamex is seventy-sevenfold. Here we see, once again, the mercy of God in that he allows Cain to start a family from which humanity will flourish uh, at a different rate than the future children of Adam and Eve. We don't know where Cain's wife appears from. Some speculate God created her, much like Eve for Cain, to have a wife, uh, while others believe that she is his biological sister. Obviously, this brings up the question of incest, which is forbidden by God in the law in Leviticus 18. Uh, specifically for this one, we go in 18.9. And others will say, some posit that the human race was just uh, genetically pure enough that the chances of negative genetic mutations that we associate with incest were not present at this uh, stage in history. So there was nothing wrong with Cain marrying his sister at this stage in humanity's development. So there's no worry about having a Habsburg jaw at this point in time or uh, is it hemophilia or anything like that that we'll see in the royal families of Europe because of all the incest that was happening there. Like, we don't know. Now, this could be supported in the idea of incest isn't a sin yet, if this is true, in that uh, familiar marriages will still were still common even in Abraham's day when he married his half-sister Sarah, and their closest descendants often married cousins, so perhaps this continued until the days of Moses, and then it was banned. Maybe at that point, if this the point of view, like the human race was stopped being genetically pure enough to where this could stop, uh, if we kept doing this, bad things would happen, so God bans it. There's a reason it's forbidden. Outside the fact that it squicks me right now. Not, not big on that. But guess what? It happens back in the day, at least with Abraham and parts of his family. So it's possible. I don't know if I subscribe to this idea, but it's possible that this is how it could have ended up. Now, I know that some of you are being kind of squeamish right now. Maybe you're clutching your pearls and going, oh, I don't know about reading this. Well, guess what? We just read the Bible. Okay. And with reading the Bible, questions come up that make us uncomfortable. And you know, that's a good thing. Now, obviously, we don't know the answer to this. So people speculate and they're going to speculate about things that are going to be wildly different than each other's. And this one in particular is one that we got to, uh, I don't know that I'll just move on to the next verse and pretend I didn't read that. No, no, that is a terrible point of view to take. Just because we'll never know the answer doesn't mean that we stop and then move on. Shying away from questions like these do us a disservice when we shut them down merely because they make us uncomfortable or upset. Look, nobody likes feeling uncomfortable or upset, but if you're reading scripture, it's going to make you uncomfortable and upset. Not always for the same reason, but it's going to happen. And instead of putting our uh, our heads in the sand and pretending that these questions don't exist, that's not the way to go either. We can't do that because then we look like fools. Oh, this is what you believe? And someone will bring that up and go, well, I'm not sure it's in the Bible, but blah, blah, blah. And we move on with our lives. No, someone presented you with a question. You didn't have an answer for it. You felt uncomfortable and you didn't answer it to the best of your ability. That's not good. Don't put your head in the sand. Instead, wrestle with these questions on your own. Consult learned people who studied this extensively. There's plenty of things I probably could have put there that 
other people have speculated on just for time's sake. I didn't. And then at the end of the day, just make your own judgments. Hopefully with evidence, hopefully with where God would want you to end up at. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It is not okay to remain in that discomfort simply for our sake. Or even if we pretend we're not uncomfortable and we are, all we're doing is letting that fester in our minds. And it's always in the back there going, oh, where did Cain's sister come from? Where did Cain's wife come from? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you're just hurting yourself. Like, I don't, as we've noticed, I don't have the answer. But at least I worked at it versus someone else who just moved on and pretended like it wasn't a problem when they know it's a problem in their head mentally. So moving back to Cain's genealogy, this shows us that once again, that God has blessed them with tremendous intellect and creativity. Would you expect this from a murderer's family? Like we get music. We have the formation of culture. We have architectural feats that are abounding in this bloodline, despite the sins of their ancestor. We see that the descendants of Cain flourish and do not suffer because of the actions of their progenitor. Their own sins will be their undoing instead. And for that, we go back to Lamech. And that is precisely why the story told by Lamech is so important. Cain may have been the first murderer, but he wouldn't be the last, even in his own direct bloodline. Now, perhaps you could be argued that Lamech killed this man out of self-defense, in which case he could he would have been justified in doing so. But what is more likely, given what the story out of his own lips, is that he, having learned nothing from the actions of his ancestor, takes the wrong lesson from it, and without consulting God, demands that he too be protected from the wrath of others for his slaying of the young man. Right there. You see, the sins of the father do affect the sins of the son. That, that saying's a saying for a reason. Oh, well, great-grandpappy Cain, he got away with it. So what if I do it too? Uh, oh, and God even protected him too. Oh, well, he'll do it for me if, if I do it. No. Lamech takes the wrong lesson. Instead of going, oh, I shouldn't be murdering people. He goes, well, if I do, God's got my back. <laughs> the exact wrong thing to learn. And with that, we'll finish Genesis 4, uh, reading verses 25 through 26. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called him his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, in contrast to the genealogy of Cain, we go back to Adam and Eve, who God has not forgotten in the midst of their sorrow. Even and through all of that, God looks upon the grieving Adam and Eve, and he allows them to have a third son in Seth, who God has appointed, which is in his name, to truly fulfill his prophecy that the descendants of Eve will overcome and stop the serpent. Now, sometimes we brush by these names and we go, yeah, whatever. Like Names have a meaning. 
there's a reason we attribute meaning to names like uh, easy enough. Uh, my name, Christian follower of Christ. There you go. Our names have meaning. If we have good parents who didn't just make up a name for the sake of doing it or whatever their favorite pop culture thing at the time is. Sorry for all you uh, children out there named Khaleesi. You really got screwed over <laughs> by bad storytelling. Ugh. Our names have meaning. Look them up. They're fun. Like I, I do it all the time for writing. Like I meaningful names are like half of what, I, uh, how I create characters at the end of the day. Uh, same thing to anyone who ever plays my D and D games. If they ever look up, any of my names and like Wiktionary or what have you, they're going to go, wait, that guy's name is German for backstabber. <laughs> I don't think we should trust him. <laughs> but no, in the seriousness, no names have meaning. Names have power. And we see this from the foundation of the world. From Adam and Eve's names to the names they give their children. When we get into Genesis five, if I'm doing my job, I'm going to be going through a list of what those names mean in preparation for the flood, in preparation for the continuation of humanity, so on and so forth. Eve remembered the promise that God gave and a prophecy given that one of her descendants would crush the serpent. And it wasn't Cain like she wanted. But did she give up? No. She trusted. She and Adam trusted, and Seth is born. And from Seth, guess what? Here we all end up. We're all born from him. Guess who's also born from him? A little guy you may have heard of named Jesus. Oh, imagine that. Oh, oh, fulfilling the prophecy. Imagine that God was actually keeping his promise that whole time. There's one final part of this chapter. Like, we don't want to skirt over it too quickly. Is that we also hear the first call to worship God by the people outside of offering sacrifices to him. And we don't know if this just means that they were in contact with him or like they were praising. They had started their first worship ministry. But the point is, despite the great evils done with the world's first murder, humanity is going to survive as God keeps his promises to us. And not only that, people recognize this and worship him. And they do this with far less knowledge than you and I have right now. That's a little humbling. So with that, we're done with Genesis 4. Please, if you have a chance, leave a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice just to help us out there with the ratings, get more people uh, involved with the show. If you're interested in my fiction writing, you can find my works at starvingwritersguild.com or on Amazon by searching for the name MC Ashley. If you're all interested in some further solid studies into the Bible and its teachings, then check out the other members of the Anazal Ministries podcasting network. You can contact me at letnothingmoveypodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to extend a special thank you to Joshua Knoll for the editing that he does and for the music he adds to the podcast. And with all that in mind, God bless you all in accordance to his will and not mine. And allow me one more time to remind you, let nothing move you. Hey guys, are you interested in podcasting but don't know where to go? Well, check out Syncaster.com and go ahead and make an account there and use special promo code LETNOTHINGMOVEYOU, all caps, that way you can get 30% off of your next deal to go ahead and set things up so you can figure out how to edit stuff using Zencaster.com to host your stuff to get things done there. So check out Zencaster.com. Use special promo code. Let nothing move you. All right. See ya.